What's up, guys, and welcome to another episode of the Neo Vintage Podcast. I'm Jabril, and I'm here with... Steve, how you guys doing? And if you haven't watched this podcast before, we're just two guys that like to talk over the biggest stories in gaming, and we always like to start out with what we've been playing. So, Steve, what you been playing? So, obviously, with the quarantine and all that kind of stuff going to full effect, I've been playing kind of a lot of things. So, still, you know, dabbling in my Animal Crossing, you know, trying to get my village up to par i'm not time traveling so it's taking you know a little long but it's usually two or three times a day i stop in there you know get my uh bugs and fishes and whatever i need to do still doom is uh really fighting back on me and uh the game's not easy no so so it's taking a lot out of me so i'm I'm usually doing uh a level a day so i want to say i'm like level seven that's like halfway because i believe there's 13 missions so i slowly truck through that uh, and then uh, my relaxed game, obviously, is still a Twin Breaker. I'm trying to go for the Platinum. I know last week I was very like, eh, probably won't do it. But the one trophy I was worried about getting on the PS4 uh, trophy list, I somehow popped it on the Vita trophy list. So now I got to try to recreate my magic because it's two separate trophy lists. Oh, which, okay. So, that must drive yes. me nuts. Oh, so it's nuts because if I put them together, I would already have the Plat. Um, besides that, then just a little bit of the uh, Resident Evil Three remake. Okay, did uh, did you beat it or did you just start it? I'm pretty far in. I'm so I don't know how familiar you are with the story. I'm in the hot again. I don't know. I'm not too familiar with the original original uh, RE Three, so I don't know how much they've changed. But I'm at spoil trying to be spoiler free. I guess the hospital scene. Yep. No, I, I know exactly. So what you're so about. that's where I'm at. So I'm at that section right now. So you, yeah, I, you're you're actually pretty deep into it. Yeah, I heard I'm like yeah really uh, close to it, and it's uh, I'm really enjoying it. It is more action based. I know a lot of that's a lot of people's complaints about compared to the RE2 demo, and I know uh, Resident Evil 2 has much a, a bigger fan base, and people like really love Leon and Claire. I enjoy Jill's as a character a little bit better. I don't like some of the, the character interactions do seem weaker when she when she's talking to that uh, the Russian guy and. Carlos is kind of generic. Uh, I know they try to flush him out a little bit better, but the game I see why people don't like three as much when it's such such action based, and uh, the mystery and the horror that like Mr. X used to present. Because in I mean RE2, Mr. X kind of just shows up in random spots and it scares you. Nemesis is constantly showing up. He is on you the He's, whole game. Like, man, he's just there constantly, constantly, constantly. And I'm like, it goes from terrifying to, man, he's super strong to every time I see him, I, like, roll my eyes. I'm like, oh, God, again. And, you know, it's it, it gets a little bit more annoying. So I, I can see why it's not being held at, up to the same par and praise that Resident Evil 2, you know, did last year. But I still think it's just as good in a sense, uh, you know. If like if I had them rate them, I don't like to use the point scale, but if RE two was like a nine, I would say RE three is a eight. Okay. Oh, so, so so you're still pretty positive on it. Yeah, it's not a dramatic, dramatic downgrade. Like the gameplay is solid. Some of the controls they fixed. Uh, the camera angles get a little wonky because of how tight and corridor the city is in the beginning section, and you kind of lose your bearings because everything's just dark, rainy with lights. And, uh, you know, Nemesis comes and helps clear that up a little bit. But it, it's still good. I'm enjoying it. Again, not knowing too much about Resident Evil 3 originally. It's like a brand new experience for me. And I, I guess they tweaked elements of the story to be more canon. Which doesn't bother me because Capcom's always had that, you know, mucky timeline. Uh, besides that, 
I did dabble a little bit in the Resistance, the online multiplayer. Yep, yep. And it's okay. It feels better to play as, like, the survivor, but it's so rushed where they're, like, everything you do, you either lose time or gain time. So it doesn't give you the chance to actually find the stuff. Resident Evil's always had that good, uh, like, breadcrumb. Like, you go to this room to get access to this room. It's like a back and forth. In Resistance, it's kind of like, all right, here's the key. Well, here's the puzzle you got to solve. And the keys are just randomly located, so there's no rhythm to it. And that's my only issue with it. Yeah, so I... Before I tell my opinion on RE3, I want to say I did not play RE3. I watched it played from front to back. Uh, the, the about four and a half hour experience. I, I just sat there on the couch and watched somebody play it. So before you y'all get on me, that that's how I experienced it. So these are my observations are purely that observational. Um, from what I noticed, the biggest issue I have with this game is the value proposition. I don't think in any form or fashion this survival game coupled with this four and a half ex- hour experience is nearly worth sixty dollars at all. Uh, I think the replayability of this one is significantly less than RE2 because of the nature of the narrative. The fact that uh, Jill and Carlos's narrative are tied together throughout one single linear narrative as opposed to two disconnected stories that you have to replay the game to experience both, like Claire and Leon, make it a vastly different experience. And the value proposition is lower in 3 than I would say 2 was. I would say... What made 2 as legendary as it was, was the fact that there was so much care into building that world, that police station specifically, and it's kind of like a master class in game design, the way everything's connected and the way it guides you through this environment and how the, the environmental puzzles combined with, you know, the, the threats that are built around it combined with Mr. X after you the entire time. So I feel like there was a great deal of care that three though there was a great deal of care put into the aesthetic look of it i don't necessarily see from a game design standpoint the masterful nature of two in three as for nemesis i think after a while it really did get pretty old i understand that he's the primary antagonist of the original one and this is a remake but not a complete reinvention of the game so I understand that they're taking a little bit of that and they're reusing the, pretty much the same enemy over and over and over again in different forms. I did think it got old. I think the best utilization of Nemesis was, I don't know if you remember, but earlier in, in not too big spoilers, but you're when you're on the streets and he's kind of chasing you that first time when he has like the flamethrower and there's yeah. one point he like jumps and slides in front of you. See that the, is the parts. perfect utilization of Nemesis. He was horrifying there. Yeah, exactly. So after you... Again, it's not really a spoiler. When you turn the subway on, you have to get, try to get back. <clears throat> There's a part where, yeah, you're running through where there's this fence, a bunch of zombies, and he breaks you know, he breaks through the wall. And I'm like, oh, jeez. And I keep running for it because I'm like, all right, I've seen Mr. X do this. I just run for it, and eventually he'll he's slow enough. But and then he did that huge leap, and you can hear him like, Ugh. like you can hear him jump and like mumble. And then, yeah, he does that slide, and then he's just in front of me blocking my path. That's terrifying. And that's the way it should be done. Yeah, the, that that was the primary impact of Nemesis. And from there, I think it kind of lessened with each appearance. Uh, but generally, I think it's, it's a pretty... It's a pretty good game. Uh, I don't know if I'd go all the way to 8, just because I feel like with as short of an experience as it is, the fact that a quarter of the game is using the exact same environment of 2, mm-hmm. and I won't go yeah. deeper than that, 
That's yep, problematic, yep. I think, for a $60 experience a year after the predecessor came out. The fact that you're reusing an environment that prominently, I think, is an issue. And it yeah. makes a lot of sense of how they were able to turn this around so fast. But I think if you're going to provide a semi-budget experience, you need that budget price tag tied to it. So, Yeah, so, yeah, I guess I, I, I should be, I guess, well, I want to be clear. Amazon had a sale for this game months ago, so I locked it in uh, pretty cheap. Oh, lucky I didn't you. Use, okay, cool. Yeah, so I, I that $60 price tag, I guess if, yeah, if you were doing that $60 price tag, it'd be a lot more of a hit. Um, and I could see where you would be a little saddened. I did for I did forget that. Yeah, I locked in a pretty cheap price uh, months ago, and then you know Amazon never doesn't pull the price up; it only pulls it down. Yeah, they whatever so th- the, so that's the lowest true. it locks it there. That's true. So I did. I'll be clear. I did. Maybe that's why I might be a little bit warmer on it. And yeah, sense. the resistance thing. I, I'm I'm not really into survival games. I've seen games like this before. It came off a little clunky. I just it wasn't really my cup of tea, and now I understand why they tied it to three because the combination of that maybe they can get away with justifying the sixty dollars price tag a little bit more. But uh, generally speaking, I wasn't too hot on that. Uh, but again, if you were able to hold out a little bit, the price of this is going to drop dramatically, just like the second one did. So if you can Correct. get this whole package for you know thirty five, thirty bucks, then I think it's more than worth it. But for the sixty dollars price tag, I would say I would say wait. I don't consider this like must play video games. Um, yeah, I wouldn't either. Now for the other stuff I've been playing, it's been similar to you. I went through Animal Crossing. I've been playing that pretty much every single day. I'm pretty deep into. I've unlocked pretty much everything. I've got that kind of mod tool for the world. Ah, uh, okay. okay. So I finally unlocked that. So I'm making all types of like paths and terraforming and i'm doing all kind of fun stuff so once you get to that point the game fundamentally changes and it's kind of like a god sim where you can kind of change the world to do whatever you want you no longer have to like for example like buy bridges unless you want it for the aesthetic version if you just want it for like a practical nature you can just terraform a lake into having land over it so if it fundamentally changes the game and it's it's definitely bought me a lot more time because not that it was getting stale, but you eventually you kind of max it out. You do everything you can possibly do, and then you're like, all right, well, that was fun. But then you unlock this new tool, and it's like, well, how would you like to change land masses and water around you? And it's like, oh, well, that's another you know, 20, 30 hours I could probably play here Yeah. besides just the daily check-in, you know, sell fruit, talk to your villagers. Besides that, this is like dedicated time that I could actually put more into. Uh, I've been playing through Twin Breaker as well. I've actually went to a game that years ago i swore off because i was like there's no way i can get through this and i've heard more people talking about it and its sequel came out recently and i was like you know what i have this in playstation plus let let me honestly give it a shot so i've been playing neo wow wow and for me who is not very good at games i have to give myself credit i'm doing a lot better than i thought i would um (laughs) of course you know i die that's just part of the experience but i've noticed that when i stop trying to play it like strider and trying to play it more like a bloodborne where it's it's very patient it's whittling down health i noticed that i was able to make it a lot farther than i have in previous tries uh so i'm really really enjoying neo right now i'm not that far into it i'm probably an hour and a half i haven't even hit that first major big boss um i I broke out of like the England jail area and again this is 
spoilers, I guess, but it's a 2017 game, so get get it together. Um, how, how far have you made into Neo? So Neo, I have a a back and forth relationship with. So I, I remember playing the demo. Well, they called it a beta, but it was a demo, and I thought it was cool. I thought immediately I was like, oh, this is samurai. Oh, actually, it gave me a lot of flashbacks to, like, Ninja Gaiden, you know, because yeah. that's really what it is. But I was like, okay, you know, I, I really enjoyed Bloodborne, so I was like, I maybe can like this. I like Samurais and that whole kind of aesthetic. And then, some reason, I don't know why, I don't know if it was this timing, I never picked it up until it was on PlayStation Plus a few months ago. And I downloaded it, I started it, and then, yeah, I did the whole thing where you broke out of the jail, and then... I don't know what it was. I just think I knew I didn't have time to dedicate because that's one of those games where you got to learn it and just be almost muscle memory for it. I also was too tainted by uh, Sekiro, okay, where yeah. Sek- Sekiro is very much. Uh, it's a lot more fat. Uh, it's like I don't know. It's 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 the pacing is way different in Sekiro, where you can do the pairing and the the main attacks and all those kind of things. A little bit faster and you could be a little bit more sloppy or neo i feel it's a lot more precise like neo i in my opinion neo is just a little bit more difficult in that aspect than Sekiro was yeah so neo was is like, kind of like a delicate balance between timing your attacks and knowing when to back off yeah and exactly. that stamina meter and regaining your key is like a major a component of that and so that makes that's I found personally what a lot of the challenge is is kind of fighting that urge to keep slashing when sometimes you know you need to back off you need to regain that key so you can do another combo and let him finish his attack kind of animation so mm-hmm. it's because your natural uh, your natural feeling is like oh I just got him so close to dying let me just finish him off here and more times than not you won't be able to and the last thing you want to do is to go for an attack when you don't have enough key and your character kind of stalls for a second. And that's enough to kill you in many cases. So that's where I feel like a lot of the challenge of Neo comes from. Where like Sekiro, I feel like forgiving is not the right word because it's incredibly challenging in its own regard. But it's challenging in a kind of a different way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. That's what I, that's what I was always felt between those two games so because of that taintedness or i guess or i was still too Sekiro feeling i put it aside and i will get back to it now maybe with this uh quarantine going to more full effect here i will have more time to actually kind of just sit there and play bigger chunks of neo yeah and then the last guy game i've been playing is kind of like a weird one and so yesterday we or yesterday as of uh, posting this podcast the last thing i posted was the video games monthly unboxing and one of the games i got on that was pinbot which for y'all who don't know is a game that i didn't really know existed or i had heard the title but i didn't know what it was and it's a pinball game on the nes and so i spent uh, yesterday afternoon playing it for quite quite a while and i gotta say it's really 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 good like i did not know that there was this good of a pinball game on the nes and so playing it now, I mean, I'm having a great time. There's like cool, like cyberpunk tech, 80s Blade Runner type animations. It's fluid. It's fast. I was ex- I was worried because I'm like, with older pinball games, it can go two different directions. There's kind of like the old PC ones. And then there is something like a Sonic Spinball, which move at like 10 frames per second. 
but <laughs> yeah slugs but playing this it actually plays really really well and i'm gonna hold out so when inevitably we're eventually able to reconnect we can do a gameplay on this because i think it's really fun i think you'll get a real kick out of it yeah i'm excited to check it out because when you were obviously i watched uh your video so I, I saw it and i was like i've never heard of that yeah and those kind of arcade pinball games you know you and i love those kind of stuff so i was like and i meant to look it up and i i haven't actually probably i will probably avoid doing that just so it can be really first impressions for me when yeah we, when we I, do get to i'd wait till you experience it here because it's, it's just really cool as soon as you boot it up and they show you like this cool animation like there's something about that detailed 8-bit art that just drives me nuts because it's like like it's so nice looking and so many people they have like a very certain look of what they think nes games look like and a lot of it you know like the original marios maybe like castlevania and stuff like that but like once you got into those especially like 1990 and up nes games you're talking about a whole different ball game Mm -hmm. in terms of like their visual look and this one's actually on the older side i think it's it's like from 88 or something like that so to have this level of detailed art that borders on like 16-bit level definition on the nes like i don't know how they got this to run i have zero clue considering the fact that there's flickering and slowdown and like these relatively simple platformers the fact that this runs at the frame rate it does in the level of detail it does with a point system on the side a whole table with flickering lights and a moving ball and paddles and stuff like that i don't know how they did this but uh it's kind of like a master class in like game development and how you can extract as much power out of a machine as possible so, yeah, I can't wait to show, to show you that game. Awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right. So, I guess we could jump into the stories. Uh, the first one is a quick update. We had talked about the Modern Warfare 2 remaster possibly being a thing. And so, since the last show came out, it's not only been confirmed, but it's out now. The rumor is real, and it's out for PS4. But apparently, it's going to have like a month exclusivity tied to it, which... As someone who has all the platforms, it doesn't impact me, but like that annoyed the hell out of me. I just, when it's like super short exclusivity, it doesn't really seem to serve any purpose other than to annoy people. It's not long enough, I think, to really sway people on buying it on the PS4 platform, but it's it's not short enough to not inconvenience people, you know what I mean? So I, I don't really get what they were thinking there. Uh, and a kind of like a second part of it is the fact that Sony Russia refuses to release the game in Russia for extremely obvious reasons if you've played the narrative of the game. And again, for people who haven't experienced the game, I won't spoil it too much, but there is a pretty famous iconic mission called No Russian where you do some rather unsavory things in an airport. And uh, I guess the Russians are not too kind. Con- they don't feel too kind about being portrayed in that way, or at least not Russians, but Russian terrorism being, you know, initiated like that so uh, what are your thoughts on this so you know it was you know we were always so skeptical about when this would drop and stuff like that who knew that it would be immediately like days you know, after you know because the day after i think we recorded all the trophies were live and this is where people were already kind of bringing up the exclusivity because the trophies were live but the achievements were not and i know they kind of get tracked differently but all the trophies were live uh by that afternoon someone put the whole gameplay up you know you know in 4k and all that kind of stuff so i was like well it, it exists uh but activision still was hush hush on it until that tuesday where it just kind of they just released the trailer the exclusivity i mean this goes back to the you know what they signed for this whole generation you know because they were exclusive with not exclusive but they always had that uh time deal with xbox uh, yeah. the last generation 
Sony then did that for this generation, so the DLCs we used to get a little bit differently. Now it's all more coincided. I think due to, due to the circumstances of how everyone is in the world right now, most people are home, and Modern Warfare 2 is such you know held so high. I think it was kind of a a hurtful move to to lock it off for a month because you got to you know wishful thinking in a month people are going to be able to start going back to work and stuff so they won't have the time to do this uh my only other issue you know i, I do an, obviously the no russian level i knew it was going to be in there there's no way you can have this game without that level uh because i mean that's a good i mean like you just you 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 take away the integrity if like you make the game incomplete and then try to try to charge again later so obviously the level is going to be in it you have the option to skip the level you have the option there's no trophies attached to that level ever so that's not a big worry my only other issue is it's not released as a standalone um, which is a weird thing i don't know if you knew this or the way they've talked about it is very hush you either need to have modern warfare installed or the Warzone installed really? to play oh, the modern warfare 2 now if they change because i double checked this because it was flagged on uh when i checked on the psn store because I, I was curious if this was true and that's what it says you you do have to either have Warzone, which is the free-to-play battle royale or you have to have modern warfare installed which is weird to connect it that way. I don't know if they already took it back or if it was bad translation, but that was up on the PSN store. Whether that went away, I don't know. But that was my only other issue was you're charging 20 bucks for this, which is a good price, in my opinion, for just the campaign. No multiplayer, nothing like that. Uh, those those maps are probably obviously going to come to Modern Warfare, uh, the reboot. Oh, I'm sure. I just don't see why you would then kind of shoehorn So if I didn't have this, I'd have to install Warzone, which is huge. Which is just gigs of gigs of data that takes up such a big uh, chunk of my data to them to play a game from two thousand what was this nine ten yeah I mean it it just reminds me of the nonsense they tried to pull with the first Modern Warfare remaster you remember when they tied that to Infinite Warfare it's like yeah you had you had to have played it nobody wants to play it you had to have the Infinite Warfare disc in the system and it's like eventually they changed that and now it's like a standalone game that you could just purchase on it on its own because since then it's been made free on playstation plus uh but just the tying of one thing to another thing when you know one product is slightly in less demand let people play what they want when they want it like just cut it out cut the shit because i mean like you know how much money they're bringing in so it's not like they're strapped for cash that they need to tie things together in that capacity so that, Mm -hmm. that that's a peculiar move uh, for them to make yeah I, I assume again if if they haven't already at the time of us recording this they probably will backtrack that and just release it so it's its own thing but we'll see all right so moving on to the next uh story which is kind of i believe it broke yesterday that's when i, I really saw it making the rounds the esa has announced the dates for e3 2021 it's going to take place between june 15th to the 17th so there wasn't many quotes and stuff. They pretty much the only word they kept trying to use was that they're going to use the reimagined E3, which I don't know what that really means too much. I know it's because they've been really trying to transform E3, and you know E3's been losing a lot of money, developers backing, and all those kind of things. And I knew everyone thought E3 was going to be dying, you know, with the 2020 E3 canceled due to the you know the the virus. I wasn't surprised because there's no way they were going to just go out that way. Uh, without like a big last blowout 
But uh, it's there. Uh, E3 is coming for 2021. But they also did announce that they were not looking... Not announced, but they haven't do- talked specifically that about this year having a digital conference of uh, any sorts. Which brings in uh, part two, I guess, to the story that IGN has now announced its Summer of Gaming event with multiple publishers. So what everyone kind of thought E3 was going to transform into, IGN has somehow uh, done it. So I'm going to read uh, just a quick section from their article, which is, uh, IGN is proud to announce our Summer of Gaming event, a global digital event set to begin this June to bring you the latest news and impressions around upcoming games and next generation of console hardware, i.e. exactly what E3 used to do. And uh, the more astounding thing, because this is not like how Kind of Funny does like their small indie game like showcase, iGen is collaborating with 2K, Square Enix, Sega, Bandai Namco, Amazon, Google Stadia, Twitter, Devolver, Digital, THQ, Nordic, and more. Those are some, if not most, of the big players that used to show up at E3 and really use it as their platform. So I just was curious, what what did you think of all this information? Yeah, I mean, besides, what, EA, Bethesda, Microsoft does its own thing, Nintendo does its own body. Yeah, it's pretty much EA and Bethesda is all E3 kind of has that differentiates it from the summer of gaming. So it seems like in E3's absence, IGN has swooped in and kind of taken that market share, which... Again, you know I'm a big fan of competition, so if, if anybody could push the ESA to get its act together and reinvent itself, I think this is ultimately a good meal, uh, a good move. The one thing is, if you know business and you know the finances that go behind this, I seriously doubt that this is a one-time deal, which means I think they're probably treating this as something that's going to be present in 2021 in some capacity which spells pretty bad news for the ESA at this point. The less and less people have been participating, and now you've seen pretty much so much of the people that kind of made E3 what it was defecting kind of to the other side. It it, it just pretty much spells disaster. And now reinvention or reimagined, I, I don't know what that looks like. I saw a leaked screenshot, supposedly, again, this is rumored, of what the ESA's plan was for E3. And why so many people didn't really want to work with them this year. And apparently it was it was being tied to like having Andrea Renee come to host it. Which is, you know, she's uh, well respected and regarded in the industry. So that makes a lot of sense. But tying it with like Good Morning America. And they were making a lot of weird moves that I would imagine they're just trying to increase visibility. As they lose more and more cachet with the hardcore quote unquote crowd and game industry professionals. Maybe they were going to try to make up for it in terms of casual casual eyes uh mm-hmm. since they've opened it up to the public that seems like a direction they might be trying to head in and tying themselves to you know primetime television like like good morning america that might be a choice they wanted to go but it also makes sense why people would see that and be like yeah no thanks and then ign you know offers them something that's more in the vein of what a current showcase should look like and then they go into that side so that makes a lot of sense um yeah but man if i if i was the ESA and or working for E3 and stuff like that, I would be really concerned about this move. Because, um, again, many things... If you look at IGN's a lot of things, people have a lot of critiques about them, but they do have their finger on the pulse of what the modern gamer is looking for in terms of their video content and their podcasting content, in terms of what their site offers and the guides. They, they kind of fulfill 
the role of being the industry veterans and having those kind of guides for the older school gamers that used to know IGN for that day. And then also providing Snapchat and, and video and podcasting content for kind of the, the newer modern gamer. So it would make sense for them to step in and kind of put that cash and put that money where the, their mouth is to make a new showcase. And uh, again, I seriously doubt this is a one-time thing. It very well could be. It could be just they're like, okay, well, since E3 is not going to happen, we'll sub in, we'll make something happen. And then when ESA gets it together and E3 drops in 2021, they'll you know back off. I seriously doubt that's what's happening. But again, I, I would be remiss to not say that that is a possibility. But uh, yeah, for, for the yeah. most part, I mean, E3, like GameStop, I feel like we're kind of remnants of a bygone era. And you got a new player in the world who speaks to a lot more people in a more convincing manner than you guys do. And so it, it kind of begs the question, when 2021 comes around and they're trying to do E3, what place do you have in the industry? What is the point at this point? Who is going to participate? Who's going to be the big announcements? Is Nintendo and Microsoft going to stick by them when everyone else has jumped ship? I mean, that's a question to that eventually is going to get answered. Yeah, we'll have to you know wait and see you know because at the end of the day, IGN is a business. You know they pay their employees salary, benefits, and all that kind of stuff. So if they again, I don't know what it looks like behind the scenes. If Summer of Gaming ends up being crazy popular, lots of hits, lots of views, lots of tune-ins with live streams and things like that, why would then they why would they give that up the year after because you know the ESA is there? I mean, IGN is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, you know gaming news sites that are there you know they send everyone there you know brian altano is always out on the you know floor and all these guys that people identify with that's where people are going to want their information from and if they can do it without the esa and this awkward you know sponsorships for deodorants and stuff like that why would they after having a successful one this year why would they go back to that kind of stuff just doesn't make any sense and i mean not to mention this is can't be a cheap showcase to make However, I'm curious to see how the finances balance once they factor in the fact that E3 couldn't have been a cheap foray for them either. Having that booth space, sending all their staff fully paid uh, to these events, having them you know right around the clock to get all these articles out. This, that couldn't have been a cheap endeavor for them to go to E3. So to kind of bring some of that money to invest within themselves... And kind of uh, saving some of those profits there to reinvest into the show, I would imagine would impact their bottom line in a more positive manner all in all once everything is said and done. And the sheer amounts of money, if this goes well and their partners, you know, see good returns, not to mention the video feeds, a lot of people go through IGN to watch E3 to begin with. If you can not worry about the money that goes into having physical presence on the floor space it's all a digital event the partners see good returns they keep going on the advertisements are going to be through the roof when they see all this participation they don't have to put any money into anything other than their own like this is a chance for ign i feel like to jump to the next level whatever that may be and what started as this kind of small little guide site has been growing exponentially as time has progressed and i feel like this is a chance for them to jump into another level and again we're talking about them competing with the esa which is i know kind of like the punching bag to a lot of jokes now but we're talking about a lobbying body between multiple publishers that got together to talk to politicians like we're talking about a pretty significant group here so for ign this you know san francisco based video game website jumping in and 
possibly competing and possibly beating the ESA, like that's a big move. And I'm curious to see what the future IGN at that point looks like with all mm-hmm. that money coming in, with all that sponsorship coming in. This could help their relationships with multiple publishers because, again, we got we got like 2K and, and Devolver and stuff like that. But what about when all these other teams being like, hey, that showcase went really well. Can we have a part of that? Those relationships that they're going to build from this, whatever whatever sites maybe not or whatever publishers maybe didn't want to deal with them in the past are kind of forced to deal with them now. So, I mean, this is, can prove incredibly advantageous for IGN in the long run. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so we got another pretty big story here. And again, this is a rumor. I like to put in big capital letters rumor right here because this could be proven right or wrong. And I have my skeptic skeptic hat on right now. So it seems like Nintendo may be planning some pretty major uh, re-releases in 2020, possibly spilling into 2021. So apparently uh, multiple sources have told Video Games Chronicles that the platform holder is planning to hold an event. Uh, to coincide with this year's anniversary, which marks the 35 years since the start of the mainline Super Mario uh, series in 1985 with the NES. Uh, Rumored games include 1997's Super Mario 64, 2002 Super Mario Sunshine, and 2007 Super Mario Galaxy. And I would imagine uh, Galaxy 2 would kind of fall into that too, along with new installments in the Paper Mario series and the deluxe version of 2013's Super Mario 3D World. So from what it seems like, the rumor is that they're trying to drop some massive collection. I don't know if these are going to come in the form of individual ports or some giant collection. I don't know how they're going to treat this, but of re-released Mario games, which people have been asking for God knows who, how long. It sounds like a dream come true. I seriously don't necessarily buy into it yet. Again, sometimes when it sounds too good to be true, a lot of times it is. But again, with Nintendo, you never know. Uh, of course, when they asked Nintendo to comment on this, they gave us the classic meme-worthy response. We don't comment on rumors and speculation. So, Steve, are you buying this? Well, this is where it comes. It's because this is exactly what I want. I know I feel like it's not going to happen. Uh, it is a little strange that on my Nintendo Switch I can't play Mario sixty four. I can't play Sunshine. Uh, the galaxies. I I've yet to play the galaxy games uh, truly from start you know, you know start to finish because of it's stranded on that hardware. I don't believe this in a. They're gonna do something for the thirtieth uh, you know thirty fifth anniversary. I can see them maybe doing a collection because they did you know they remember they ported All Stars on the Nintendo Wii for one of the anniversaries came in a nice little red box and it was gold and stuff like that that was the 25th right I think so I believe that was the 25th anniversary so they did pile up those but you know those games are kind of available on the Switch uh, due to the online service so it'd be nice to have that you know not attached to those in a sense now to I just don't see them I just don't see them porting these 3D games over to the switch i would love to be wrong but i just think this will start a this can either go two ways like they're not going to do it and people are going to be sad or they are going to do it and they're going to start printing money because you got to assume then the legend of zelda series will be next people are going to want ocarina and majora's mask pretty quick and everyone wants the wind waker hd twilight princess hd that was stuck on wii u the forever rumored um skyward sword i just think this is something they should do I don't believe these rumors much because nothing's kind of leaked. 
Uh, Nintendo's been super quiet with their directs, even that little mini direct they did a while ago, or it seems like a while, maybe been two weeks ago. There wasn't much information. They don't have a big game plan for 2020, really, and into 2021. These would be big titles to use as a uh, to fight back a little bit on the cusp of you know Xbox Series X and the PlayStation Five. Because these are games that are held. I mean, I know some people who say Mario's, you know, the two Galaxy games are legitimately perfect Mario games. I, again, haven't been able to experience that myself because they won't put it anywhere else. So I would love to. I would love to. I would even love it more if it was one giant collection. They probably are going to slowly leak these out. Uh, The only one I can probably pretty confidently say will happen is the 3d the super mario 3d world deluxe version oh yeah no doubt because that's one of the few wii u titles still stuck that and i believe like game and wario and pikmin 3 i think are the only games that have not resurfaced in the first party yeah this is yeah yeah. left i believe those are the only ones because obviously everything else has been brought over that's the only one i can almost confidently say that will probably release this fall uh i'd love to be wrong this sounds great. I remember you and I discussed really quickly because I wanted to save it for the podcast. Um, it just sounds too good to be true. I just don't. Be- I don't believe it. That you're gonna give me sunshine, not on the GameCube. They've never done anything with sunshine since they released it. Like they didn't put it on Wii. I mean, you could play it backwards compatible, but it wasn't on Wii. wasn't on Wii U. It isn't back in any form. So. Yeah, and I, I have problems with this because not to mention the Galaxy game specifically, that can't be a straight port because, again, it had the motion controls baked into it. Now, are there workarounds on the Switch where they can do that, where you can calibrate the controller into the center of the screen and that can kind of like mock motion controls, kind of like World of View did? It, is there workarounds? Yes. But, again, if they're able to get Galaxy, that opens the that opens everything pretty much on the Wii to being ported. Uh, and... I think Galaxy has the same reason for coming over, the same reason that Skyward Sword has. The fact that this these are not games that can you can simply just take the motion controls out and replace it with normal traditional controls and play. No, in Galaxy, it is a fundamental part to pick up all the different collectibles around you is that most motion control little star piece you have with the, the, the wand. So mm-hmm. just they would fundamentally have to rework this game on a top-to-bottom level to get it back. So that one, to me, is the one that I'm the most skeptical about, is the Galaxy component of it. 64, I mean, th- th- I'm open to the possibility. Again, the Odyssey working with, uh, you know, at the later half of the game against, sorry about the spoiler, but yeah, it has a little bit of contingent of Mario 64 there. So, I mean, I- I'm not super opposed to that. Sunshine, it's something that I'd like, but again, n- Nintendo is not necessarily the ones to hear what people are saying and be like okay yeah we'll do that they kind of march to the beat of their own drum but again if this happens this is pretty much their master chief collection and that's a really major deal the fact that they're most beloved most in-demand character they're gonna put together a collection and drop that like that's some legendary stuff and the last time they did anything that like really impacted on the level again yeah was that all-stars initial release on the super nintendo where that was legendary then and then porting mm-hmm. it to Wii that was even I mean that was an incredibly big move then too but Mario collections are very scarce you don't see them very often and so seeing a collection on this level not to mention if you look at the Switch and its monetization 
format. Nintendo aren't really the ones to package things up in the most bang-for-your-buck type situation, unfortunately. Uh, when you look at Switch things and the Switch tax, everything's kind of broken up piecemeal. You'll have the DMC collection on the PS4 and Xbox, but when it comes to Switch, you get DMC 1, wait some time, DMC 2, and then DMC 3, the special edition. So they, when there's an opportunity to monetize something in a broken up format, publishers and Nintendo included tend to take advantage of that the most they can because Switch fans and specifically Nintendo fans have proven time and time again they're willing to pay it in a way that maybe other consoles they're not so could these Mario games come back in some capacity on the Switch sure maybe eventually are they going to be grouped together I doubt it because if if they can make way more money selling them separately you're you're pretty much guaranteed that they're going to do that so I, I seriously doubt they're going to give you three to four major 3D Mario games for a single price. It would be the nicest thing they've ever done, but I seriously doubt it. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't believe it either. I mean, again, I, something I don't believe is just history's shown us not to expect this from them. No, but I, I, again, they, I'm sure, are well aware of the fact that if they did anything remotely like this, they tomorrow can announce, hey, Mario 64. The exact same game, nothing adjusted, maybe, you know, a little up to match on the Switch screen. But yeah, just Mario 64, going to be on the eShop next month, 60 bucks. There's going to be some people who will be like, wow, 60 bucks for a 90s game, that's crazy. But okay. And they're going to buy it. I would not. Absolutely not. I, I, I don't think, I don't know how they could justify that. Oh, they've justified less. I, I get it, but. was What price was Captain Toad when that came out? That's no, that's true. That and that's an isometric used. puzzle game on the Wii U that people and like a they, lot, but there's not that much bang for your buck there. They charge the same price again when they release it on. So no, I do understand because you know Mario Kart 8 Deluxe was sixty bucks. Exactly. Yeah. Captain Toad was actually that I believe was fifty because it was always a discounted price or whatever. But yeah, they everything that was ported over to Switch was charged another sixty dollars. So when have I do you believe seen a budget it. Mario title. Mario specifically. That's my issue with it. This is their bread and butter right here. I'll make an I'll I'll make an angry rant. I don't know what you want me to do that. If they try to charge sixty dollars for Mario sixty four, I just I just can't believe it. And again, I would... let's not let's not pitchfork them and indict them yet. They haven't done this. I'm just making a prediction that if they're gonna try to extract as much money as possible with these re releases if this happens. And as they well should. I mean, hey, they're a corporation. Make your money. Make your money where you can. And if they're, the market will tell you what they're willing to pay. And if they're willing to pay it, then charge them it. Whatever. But I mean, I'm. I seriously doubt. I think we can at least agree. There's no way they bundle all these games together for sixty bucks. There's no. No, way. absolutely not. Absolutely. Not. I. I was when I heard this rumor. I. I assumed. So, again, it sucks that I assumed this way. But 3D World Deluxe Edition will probably be six a full sixty. I assumed that they probably would put 64 and Sunshine together and charge 60, and the two galaxies together and charge 60. So they're at least bundling them that way. Yeah, that's possible. And then whatever they do with the Paper Mario series, I don't, I don't know what they're gonna do with that. That would be a new title, and that that's gonna be a full 60 too. That'd be a full 60. Yeah. So that that's how I assumed, and I that's I the I mean I don't know. You gotta at least fluff it up. I mean, put some artwork. You know, take some cues from the Mega Man collections and the Castlevania and most of the Konami collections that have all come out for fifteen. And they're excellent. And, and they're excellent. They usually have like ten games in them, for like fifteen twenty dollars. I mean, I get it's Mario, 
but come on oh, but yeah. you gotta you gotta fluff it up somehow i don't know how give us all this documentary and stuff like that because that's what the stuff people do enjoy so that's what you would have to do to try to convince me for that much and I'd like to sit here and be like, listen, hey, if they charge too much and they're being unfair about it, I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to speak with my wallet. I'd like to think that. But Super Mario Sunshine is one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. And ultimately keeping it honest, as much as I hate to say it, what they charge for is what I will buy it for. Unfortunately. I mm-hmm. kind of, the moment that's out, I am buying that, Period. And it's like, I'd love to speak with my wallet, but these are just such high-caliber games. We're not talking about some chump, you know, Bubsy 3D type games. No, we're talking about legendary, some of the best games of all time. And so ultimately, Nintendo is well aware of what they can get away with. And Nintendo fans have proved that they they may not have the deepest pockets, but they'll get the money somewhere. Because they're, they're paying for re-releases of re-releases of re-releases for the sixth time for... I mean, what, they're charging 20 bucks and stuff like that for the NES games as recent as, what, the 3DS? Yeah. And now they have this virtual console situation. But, again, even that that offering is, is fairly limited in terms of Nintendo first-party games. So That's true. It, That's it, true. It's like, I, I wouldn't venture to say, like, they're greedy, but they're aware of what they can get away with, and... I'm curious to see how this plays out, but again, it's too. I just it sounds too good to be true, and yeah. it it makes a little bit too much sense for them to do this, because Virtual Console made all sense in the world. This massive library you charge, you know, five to ten bucks a piece, and let people play any game they want in Nintendo's history. That makes way too much sense, and in the instead they have this kind of subscription style model with where they kind of drip feed you via IV one to three games every six freaking months. So like, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't know if <laughs> I I don't know if I buy the fact that they're gonna drop. Hey, you know every Mario game that you've ever wanted on a current gen console? Sure, we heard your demands and here you go. It's like nah, <laughs> no no no, not from Nintendo. Uh, uh, yeah, that's true. But we'll we'll have to see. We'll we'll keep in touch with them and see. Uh, hopefully, we get a direct soon that unveils this all. And I'd love to eat my words. Yeah yeah, we'll, I'll keep my we'll, eyes we'll open. See. All right. Uh, so a quick story, just more of a a quick mention. Uh, so the former Platinum CEO Tatsuya Minami, maybe I don't know if I pronounced that right, uh, is now is behind the new Capcom back studio. Uh, so he's the fl- uh, former Platinum CEO and actually was a former Capcom designer. Is now part of M2, who is now really primarily was the support studio for the RE3 remake, and now it's coming out that they worked a lot on the RE2 remake, and it is uh been rumored for a while but now it is i guess they've kind of determined true that they're the primary developer on a larger remake project for capcom so once you know first congratulations to him taking this huge role he's it's cool because he's been kind of circulating a lot within the same people if you look at it because platinum and their uh, correlation with like capcom and stuff like that it's all been pretty tight rumored i just am curious what you think the the next remake is this larger remake yeah so the interesting thing about this is i feel like we in some ways get an answer to this looking at the heritage of this of what he's worked on in the past and what this team is now the interesting thing about this m2 team is that i was researching it because i was like i've heard that name somewhere and it reminded me that i actually read a story about m2 
maybe a couple months back where apparently this was a team that uh, Minami created because he wanted to kind of work on a collaborative level with uh, Shinji Mikami. If you know, he's kind of goes back to like what Dino Crisis and the original Resident Evils. So he has like a big heritage in his own regard in terms of uh, survival horror. Now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's at Tango Gameworks right now too, where that's where you're getting games like Evil Within and stuff like that. So, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Minami wanted to work with Mikami, and that's going to jumble my brain up saying those two names. Uh, so, that's why I think the name M2 comes from, is the two M's, Mikami and Minami, working on some kind of survival horror thing. They're working on uh, a bunch of remake. He did, or at least his team did have work done on Resident Evil 3. He, through the credits, you could find him, or at least his team. So, he had some connection to re3 so this is already kind of you know happening this is not like a future projection of like oh he might be working uh with capcom on working on like resident evil in the future like this is already kind of happening so the natural thing i would assume is it's probably going to be something resident evil related uh i would imagine maybe they're putting him to work a little bit on eight I don't know. Again, Capcom's kind of a peculiar studio. They they had a lot of misses for a long time, and now they're in a good place where they're starting to have some hits. But I wouldn't necessarily write off the fact that they might make some really weird choices and choose some really weird properties to bring back. I wouldn't completely write that off. So it, it's hard to, to say. Again, his work at Platinum tells me that maybe he'll bring some of that expertise with him. And kind of diversify what Capcom's outputting right now too. And it could be very well a new IP. A Platinum style IP. Maybe Mm -hmm. a survival horror game with more fluid action. Possibly. Again, this might be speculative. This is super speculation. But again, when you look at like Platinum's heritage. You look at what uh, he's worked on specifically as a designer on. Going back uh, to those days at his time at Capcom. The fact that he worked on RE3. That means he still has some degree of connection to survival horror. He, he came from Platinum, which has shown their abilities. It, it tells me maybe Capcom's trying to diversify the feeling of their games, and maybe they're going to tap into something survival horror, but something offering new, like a more fluid, fast-paced action game, because something slower and plotting is kind of stepping on our, uh, Resident Evil's toes. So that's, mm-hmm. that's my guess, if I have to guess. It's, it's something probably either a new IP or they're putting him on Resident Evil. I don't know if they're going to remake 4, because I know the the one two three zero remake thing is kind of like taking the most unplayable games of their back catalog and bringing them to a place where you can experience the seven-game saga in a more fluid way, or eight-game if you count zero. Uh, I don't know if 4 falls into that category of needing to be remade, even though, again, I feel like it can play a little clunky at times, especially with that spinning kick and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a pretty good reason why that can justify being remade. But I don't know from their perspective that it needs to be remade. It's on current-gen consoles, up nice and clean. When uh, 2 and 3, the PlayStation 1 versions, were not brought to current-gen consoles in any capacity. Mm-hmm. So they remade those. 4 is there. You can experiment you know, I experience pretty much all of the Resident Evil games now, with small exception of, like, Code Veronica and stuff like that. Uh, So, it makes me wonder, like, if they're going to put him on 8, possibly, if they're going to put him on a 4 remake, if they ever do that. 4 remake, if they ever wanted to dabble in that, is years off. 
because they were only able to turn around three as fast as they were because it does repurpose some of the assets of two. Mm-hmm. Four would utilize nothing that two and three had done. This is an entirely different environment in a different country with different characters. So, yeah, that that, that that's true. I guess I'm. I know everyone was jumping to that to our uh, to Resident Evil Four. I just I'm in the same boat as you. How do you remake that game? Uh, besides making him to be able to shoot and walk at the same time, what what else would you really edit? And you know, yeah, smooth some stuff out. But they keep upraising. They upraised it for. PS3 and 360, then they put it on PS4 and Xbox One. It's on. It was like on iPhones. It's on Switch. It's on PC. So I just don't think that's the game that you can remake to an extent because it's the constant upraising and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess it has I, a current gen. It has a current gen presence right now. Whether people yeah, like yeah, the you can, package you can or get not, it it's on, there. You can get it on disc physically. Yeah. It's not even just a digital thing. It's physically on PS4 and Xbox One. So I don't think that I I remember I don't know if I read this just kind of through the weeds, but uh, they did confirm it's not a Dino Crisis remake or Capcom said they weren't gonna do one or they were interested and they haven't started. I just don't see. I mean, Capcom has such a giant library that who knows what they could pull out of the. You know, I'd love to see just. I don't know, well, obviously, Beautiful Joe is something I I would love to see a complete remake of more of a port actually than a remake because i think those games play perfectly fine i guess touching them up a little bit would be good and a guy from platinum makes a lot of sense playing making a beautiful joe type game yeah so that's what that's what i got from it i said imagine that they did a collection and then released beautiful joe 3 something like that or call them stuff like that so uh, we'll see i mean it probably won't wait too long before they announce it or at least tease us for it uh capcom's been on a good stream for a couple years now so you know We'll see how far they uh, keep riding this. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, so another big story right here is The Last of Us 2 being delayed indefinitely. Uh, Sony has announced that it's delaying the launch of Last of Us 2 indefinitely, saying in a tweet that the global crisis caused by the coronavirus is preventing us from providing the launch experience our players deserve. Now, I saw a lot of confusion as to why this was being delayed. Uh, from what I understand in the reading I've done, the game is mostly done. The main reason why they delayed this was the lack of the ability to deliver a physical uh, uh, offering of this game. And so a lot of people are obviously upset by that and be like, well, why are you going to let the physical copies hold up people when you could digitally distribute it? But then I'll tell you to look back at the story we talked about last week with uh, Sony working with the ISPs to slow down the Internet. And trying to lessen the load of people downloading digitally and lowering the speeds. Which, since then, I've experienced myself downloading Neo. How much slower it is, it's very noticeable. So, it makes sense why they're like... The last thing they want to do is drop a first party, one of the most in-demand games they have to offer, completely digitally. Having people download a 70, 80 gig game all at once, it would be disastrous. It would be shooting themselves in the foot compared to what they were trying to do last week depending you know despite what you might think about that option they're obviously trying to push it in a different direction so it seems like if sony cannot guarantee that there's going to be some kind of physical presence to lessen that internet load right now they're not going to push it which worries me because that pretty much guarantees yeah ghost of tsushima is going to be impacted by this any other unannounced games that sony may have had before the ps5 launch is going to be impacted by this so yeah, man, this is going to have big implications going forward. Yeah, you, you really have to, you know, look at the signals that this is going on. So, obviously, this sucks. 
because obviously this is the second delay we've gotten from Naughty Dog and Sony. Um, the only thing I'm glad it's not because the game's in trouble. I know there was like slight rumors that it doesn't run well on a base PS4, and those are all really un, you know uncircumstantial. But it does suck. You know, we were all really hoping for this to come out in May. I do understand it because it's you know the shipping of it really is the problem. Because I mean that's why even Square Enix had to ship their game what two weeks early in Australia and all these places that the embargo is still up, but the whole Final Fantasy VII remake game is on YouTube. Oh, because, is it really? Yeah, because it released early in Australia and oh, certain yeah. places. Some people have it. It's broken street date. Like if you were to find it in store, certain places. I even saw. I don't know how, but I did see certain GameStops already selling it. Uh, kind of under the table, so that'll probably get shut down pretty quickly. Um, but it's because they can't control the shipping. You know, I've had Final Fantasy VII Remake pre-ordered for... God, I don't even know. Five, seven months, maybe? And they constantly give me emails how I'm not going to get it on release date. So if that's just the disc, and that's not a collector's edition, I just have a regular Blu-ray disc, and they can't get it to me... I think my newest update now is like two weeks after release. And that's something I kind of want to be able to play so you and I can discuss here. The Last of Us 2 being such a bigger game, being something that hasn't technically gone gold yet, just shows that they don't want this to release in parts, especially when it's such a story-based game, a game and an IP that people love and add so much passion to. For this to have, if to say they released it sporadically the way that Final Fantasy VII is, that's terrible because the spoilers are going to go everywhere. Oh, this person dies, this, this, is this, he's alive, he's not alive, whatever the story would be. For that to be leaked and someone posting it in a random Twitter page would be horrible. And I would be, it'd be gut-wrenching for me to go look at a, I don't know, whatever, PSN deals and someone posting blah, 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 dies. And I'd be like, ah, oh, come on, you know? And I... Really, this is just to control their game. And looking at the signals that they're going to give us, this is obviously going to probably be better for Ghost of Tsushima if it Ghost doesn't get delayed. If Ghost of Tsushima does not get delayed, because I know they're kind of projecting that by that time, things should get a little bit back to normal. I think it'll be okay. I think it'll be good for that game because nothing's around it. You know, they don't have their two big titans kind of going head to head. And each game gets to breathe. I think this kind of plays in a little bit more to the PS5 being delayed. Because if you're going to delay the PS5 this fall, but release The Last of Us, well, now you, you soften the blow. Because, yeah, sure, Xbox has uh, Halo Infinite, quote-unquote, still on track to come. But Halo Infinite is not anywhere close to what The Last of Us is going to do for the ecosystem and for gaming in general. Yeah, I mean, it makes me wonder what their strategy going forward is going to be in the way that do you hold Ghost of Tsushima in place with its June release date and then kind of alley-oop and throw um, Last of Us maybe into August, for example, and just have it go Ghost, then Last of Us? Or is the entire timeline shifting downwards? So does that mean that Ghost is going to launch later in the summer and then Last of Us maybe in the fall? I, I I don't know what this looks like. I don't know if they're going to just... Or maybe are they going to push everything down and keep Last of Us first and Ghost... No, but I, I just... I don't know what the, the strategy is going to be mm-hmm. right now because everything is just in a mess. Nobody knows what's launching. We don't know when this is going to recover. We're all assuming 
that yeah by the 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 summer months this is all going to be resolved and everything's going to slow down well two things about that one thing we all assumed that it wasn't going to get this bad to begin with and that the game industry wasn't going to be impacted you remember those conversations where it's like oh no way that it affects next gen i said that myself and then look at us now i mean half the country's freaking out of work and uh the entire world's like shut down right now mm. not to mention there's economic implications of that like we talked about next gen people it takes time for people to recover so just because maybe the coronavirus uh crisis has slowed down that doesn't necessarily mean that you could just immediately launch a game if you want it to sell you better give people a chance to recover financially mm-hmm. so it, it just makes me wonder like just because the the, the crisis stops there's probably going to be at least a month to two month buffer before things start comfortably being rolled out and games that are way farther off like an avengers and maybe a cyberpunk may 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 remain unaffected maybe but everything that has gone before that point can be thrown i mean indefinitely back Uh, I don't think that means that necessarily we see Ghost launch in 2021 because, again, there are financial realities that these corporations need to see something back. They need to see some capital generated with all the money that they burned creating these products. So I think these are still going to be 2020 launches, but uh, it's I don't think you can necessarily sync up the launch with like uh, this theoretical treatment or vaccine arrives. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think you can add a month or two after that point when everybody gets back to work, when people start building a little bit of savings, when people start paying off their bills again, when people are able to do that, then you could launch your game. But uh, I think it's going to honestly be a while. And I think most of these games that we're looking at now that are getting delayed are probably going to be fall games at the very earliest. Yeah, again, we I guess it's, we are in more of a wait-and-see. I think that's what also they're using Ghost of Tsushima as their wait-and-see chip uh, because they did announce their... I know your your game of the year coming out, uh, Iron Man VR. Oh, please. Was, was also delayed. <laughs> I forgot that about was, that. Uh, I think that was moved to like May 10th or May 15th, whatever it was. Yeah, they can keep uh, that. In some reason, that's weird that they bundled The Last of Us with, <laughs> with Iron Man VR. Yeah, that was strange, right? With the announcement, they're like, yeah, both of these things. And it's like, one of these are not like the other, but okay. Yeah, because when I originally saw the headline, it was like, Sony delays two, two titles. I was like, oh, man, Ghost and Last of Us. Then I opened Iron Man VR. I was like, eh, that game looks bad anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think they're prob- they probably purposely didn't say Ghost was going to get delayed. I guess they're maybe doing wait and see. Because I guess sometime, I mean, you know. We're, we were a month off from the launch of Last of Us, so maybe sometime in May, about a month before, they can kind of read the tea leaves if it's going to be a good time to launch it or not, and then they can push it as well. Um, so I guess that maybe that's what they're kind of doing with Ghosts. Maybe they have a little bit of play now because, you know, they understand, they, everyone understands what's going on. So I guess that's my that's my only guess is that is why Ghost wasn't delayed initially. Is because if they had if they had the breath to even tell you Iron Man, I didn't know Iron Man VR was even going to be physical. I thought that was a digital only game. Uh, because that made no sense. Why that? Why would you delay an only digital game? I guess that's my guess anyway. Is that they're using Ghost of Tsushima as a placeholder when the time comes. If they know things are still bad out there and people don't have the money to spend on it, then they'll use that to then they'll delay it. Furthermore, because of. Uh, you know the state of everyone's in financially yeah and i mean the the confusion i have is if they don't have enough discs physical discs for last of us 
uh, a game that was going to launch in May. They sure as hell don't have enough discs for Ghost that was going to launch in June. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. simple production pipeline uh, logic. And the, the, I'm just looking at Sony in conjunction with the rest of the corporations and industries that we're seeing right now, which is everybody's calendar schedules are shifting downwards. Everybody, across the board, every single movie. And like even if you look at uh, like the MCU, for example, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they pushed everything down, and now something that was going to launch in, I believe, May, Black Widow, is pushed down to November, and everything else is pushed into 2021. That's how things, they move as a block. Everything is shifted down. They keep the same order. They keep the same spacing in between each thing to give the marketing teams and um, all the financial institutions that are tied to these launches. They give them times to work the same magic with the same schedules. They just move it farther down the year, pretty much. And I, I don't think Sony's necessarily that big of an exception. I think if Last of Us is being delayed indefinitely, even though it's not on that announcement sheet, I think that by proxy makes Ghost of Tsushima being delayed indefinitely mm-hmm. in my view mm-hmm. and i yeah, think it makes sense whenever last of us comes out a month two months after is when ghosts will come out and i think they'll keep the same schedule same intervals same marketing things just later in the year that's my guess now maybe they just didn't want to announce two of their not even two of their biggest they're only two major first party releases they didn't want to delay both of them at the same time because maybe that'll make shareholders freak out so they're gonna try to break up the news piecemeal maybe that's their their play because it seems like sony's kind of in a minimization or whatever minimizing game right now to calm shareholders they're like oh don't worry next gen is still coming out on time when they know that they're not in a position to even say that because we don't know what the future holds and it's pretty abundantly obvious they don't have the they didn't have the parts before this crisis happened let alone getting the parts now so They're not in a position to say when they're going to launch next gen. They're sure as hell not in a position when they could comfortably say when they'll have these discs to launch these games physically. So it, it's probably, we're, I feel like we as consumers are getting caught up in headlines to people that are not us. I think these headlines are for the shareholders to keep everybody from dumping their stock because they're like, oh crap, Sony's not going to have any capital coming in for how long? Oh hell no, I'm out of here. So they're probably mm-hmm. being like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, we're moving Last of Us 2 and Iron Man VR. and But next gen and Ghost of Tsushima, yeah, don't worry about it. Even though they know damn well in the back of their heads, they're going to have to move these. It's not even something negotiable. So, I mean, I remain optimistic. I'm hoping for the best. I can't wait to play all these games. But like the rest of the industry, everything's kind of on hold and in stasis right now. And I don't think Sony's any exception. Yeah, of course. Of course. So going to the last story of this week, a sad one, but I guess it's kind of one we all saw coming. Uh, Konami has an update on all those rumors that uh, Sony was going to buy their IP or they were going to sell their IP to Sony and stuff. Uh, so we have an official response from them. They have said, we are aware of all the rumors and reports, but can confirm that they are not true. Uh, a Konami representative said, uh, I know it's not the answer you f- your fans may want to hear. But it is what it is. Um, we all saw this. No one was really putting stock into this. Um, it's weird that right before this broke, sometime during the week, it switched from Sony was buying the IP to Microsoft was buying the IP. Yeah, I saw that too. You, yeah, I, I was like, why, why, why would you guys do that? You, they're not having a bidding war. Also, Castlevania's like you know the main IPs that were was that they were selling was Metal Gear, Silent Hill, and Castlevania. Castlevania is too hot right now to let go of that IP. I don't know why you would do that. I would actually double down and make a new Castlevania game. You know, Netflix, you know, 
the Netflix series crazy popular. They just you know confirmed the season four coming. Uh, I don't know what ever anyone else expected. Uh, I they're not gonna sell it. They still make Castlevania, you know, Silent Hill games. They're just pachinko machines and weird spas and stuff like they do in Japan. iOS game too for Castlevania. The, the iOS games and stuff like that. That's true. So it sucks. Yeah, I do think I think Konami may be trying to turn it around at some point. I think I, I, from what I can see, they're kind of trying to take lessons from Capcom. Capcom started making all these Mega Man collections. Konami started making their, you know, collections, Castlevania and uh, the Contra series and all those other, uh, you know, collections they're doing to kind of put honor to their IPs and stuff like that. You know, we got the Symphony of the Night and Rondo of Blood collection. So they're, they're aware and they're, they're selling pretty well from my understanding. You will probably get one of these titles soon. It's not going to be from Sony. It's not going to be from Kojima. Um, I don't know why anyone thought Kojima would go back and do one of these titles. Uh, there's not much else to say, really. Just they're not true. Why would they sell it? Why would you sell your IP right now? It makes no sense. Yeah, the story made no sense to begin with. The reason why Konami is not selling off their IP is the exact same reason why Sony hasn't sold off Spider-Man. Like, if you can license out things to get other people to do the work and you just pick up the money in the back end with ownership like that's the way these companies operate that makes the most business sense in the world and i mean that's how you do you pick up royalties you pick up uh money on the back end with ip ownership it makes no reason it makes no no sense for them to sell it off when not to mention they have properties that people will happily work with them to adapt in some capacity listen if konami goes up to any one of these developers and be like hey would you like to make a Metal Gear game? We have like a 70-30 or a 50-50 profit, profit share. You guys make the game and then there you go to go. You know, any people in the industry would jump at that. So why in hell would you sell it off when, what, so a Metal Gear game or a Castlevania game can come out in the future and Konami makes zero money off it? Konami, the, the people with pachinko machines and freaking laundry places in Japan? Hell no. They're going to find a way to make money off that. And just because the format in which they deliver it is unconventional and pretty much not seen by american eyes doesn't mean that it's not making them money believe me castlevania is making them money right now even though you haven't seen a mainline console castlevania game since what lords of shadow uh that ios game is probably bringing them a little bit money that uh for sure them licensing the ip out to the netflix show certainly made them a little bit of money uh, Metal Gear survived was probably they lost a little bit of money on that realistically but yeah when inevitably a new Metal Gear game comes out despite who makes it whether it's made Konami internally or they just license it out to somebody else it's making them money so they're, they're not going to sell it off and uh, at least we have an answer now and the speculation can stop yeah yeah next next the next rumor will probably be like Nintendo's buying the IP yeah, let's, let's take it easy guys yeah I, I actually saw that I saw people saying Oh yeah, Nintendo would be the one to buy it. And it's like what? No, so, what are they gonna do with that IP? They don't Castlevania know. They don't know what. To, yeah, no they thanks. don't know what to do with Bayonetta. You know, they barely know what to do with Bayonetta. What are they yeah, gonna do? Yeah, where's Bayonetta with... three? Where is that? What happened? You remember that was announced like what 2017? That was announced so long ago, and they've said we've nothing got, about it. We've got nothing. We got literally we have that same screenshot, that little ball with the purple three in it or whatever it was. I mean, they I can't. That was gonna be a 2018 game since they the, can't. They can't get their own IP. We still have no Metroid on the Switch. Yeah, that was weird because they showed it off. I remember they showed off Bayonetta three, and we got the one and two collections on Switch. So I naturally assumed I'm like, oh, okay, so this is gonna be a late 2018, 2019 at the very latest game. 
And then, yeah, Metroid got pushed off, and I was like, well, we haven't heard anything bad about Bayonetta. That should be coming. And now, fast forward, we're into 2020. With this whole crisis, nobody's launching anything. So I'm like, wait, is Bayonetta mm-hmm. 3 going to be like a 2021 game? Like, holy crap. I didn't she's, think she's still relevant kind of then? I, I, I guess. It is what it is. These games are not, like, incredibly ambitious unless they're completely reinventing. They're not open-world games. They're linear hack-and-slash-DMC-like games. But Platinum is busier now than ever oh yeah they're pumping up. so they they might have been like yeah we'll get to bayonetta but first let's get uh, wonderful 101 oh yeah because that's what everybody wanted but yeah that's, hey, that's listen, what i'm we... not gonna crap on wonderful 101 no no i mean maybe i'll try it if that's the thing i think that launches in may possibly at the moment well it was at one point i mean i don't know if it still is but <laughs> well, yeah we'll see all right so you want to get into the loose topic yeah, so loose topic uh, coming off of last week that we did the retrospective kind of look back at the PlayStation Vita uh, because of its life cycle pretty much being over. Uh, we were doing also, you know, like you announced last week, we were doing it moving forward for a couple of the systems. So this week we are doing an Xbox One retrospective look back kind of fond memory discussion. So the xbox one and me have a weird relationship i had full plans to buy it at launch uh then they said it was going to be five hundred dollars and i immediately said i'm not going to buy an xbox one for five hundred dollars a week after i dropped 400 on a you know playstation 4 plus the camera extra control games and warranties and all that kind of stuff so my experience to kind of look back at the xbox one goes back to everyone's favorite meme was the announcement and the showcase of the Xbox One, which I'm sure you know as well as I do. It was Call of Duty and sports. Oh, was that, uh, you know, the all-in-one machine. From the original announcement of the name, I thought it was terrible. I was like, Xbox One? I was like, we already have an Xbox One. This is the third Xbox. Why would you? Then they're like, you know, the all-in-one machine. And I'm glad they dropped that tagline pretty quick. Uh, you know, the shoehorning of the Connect, which people didn't really like the Connect the first time besides playing like Dance Central and a few other little games on it. And the Connect wasn't that much more powerful. The always online thing, uh, the, 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 it was mainly just the terrible, terrible leadership. The, oh, if you want a, you know, offline machine, it's called the Xbox 360. How do you talk to your customer base that way? Yeah, Don Matrick was terrible. I just, I just don't understand that. No one said that you, you can't go out there and say, oh, oh, you don't like my new machine because it's always online. Well, yeah, play your you know 10-year-old Xbox. What do you mean? <laughs> Why would you say that to the people who, you know, this is a circulation. You make good products. I give you money for them. Don't tell me to screw off pretty much. So, you know, it was a weird time. And, you know, it did really shortly after the PS4. I did not get my Xbox One until months after. I want to say it was maybe February after they launched. It was February, March time. Uh, because they had no real exclusives, any titles I wanted to play besides Dead Rising and Killer Instinct were the only titles I wanted to play. So I did get it a couple months after. And I initially do remember unboxing it and just lugging that big VCR looking box. Just putting it down next to... At the time, I still had my PS3 and my PS3 Slim, my PS4 nice and slim, my Xbox 360, which was nice and you know small, was the, the the latest model, and then I just had this weight, just boom, putting it on my on my thing, and everything about it was terrible. The original updating was terrible. 
and the original you know menu was really bad it took forever to load games the connect would constantly turn on in the middle of the night and scare the crap out of me uh the lights would start flashing for no reason and it was just such a bad experience and i was like you know this is not worth for me to play killer instinct and dead rising because you know halo 5 wasn't near production you know near the end of production and it wasn't you know i still remember when you first came over and you were like you asked me what that giant big black box was and i was like yeah that's that's the xbox one and your face to this day i will remember it that you, you look so sad and to be like that oh, no that and i was like yeah all the wires sticking out of it you know the the connect was always in the way so you know and i i sound so negative but the launch of the xbox one was so terrible they finally did turn it around at some point obviously when you got like phil spencer and all these other guys coming out really trying to do repairs and controlling all the messages you know we got you know started getting decent games we had a lot of flops you had recore you had another dead rising game that came out of nowhere um halo 5 was a uh, very lukewarm but they started turning it around and putting the services there game pass the xbox you know the xbox connection was always good with xbox live game pass and game pass ultimate and they really started looking at it as a platform to play the best games and they started working on that hardware where it counts because you got to remember the rumors right up to the launch of these systems was the playstation 4 stronger the the big game that was used was i believe was it called rise was that that weird that viking looking one? game yeah, yeah, sp- that game ran at i believe it was 900p 900p yeah at launch was it, uh the xbox couldn't do 1080p yeah it couldn't do 1080p and you know playstation could and when you're people I just I don't know what Sony could have Sony could have couldn't have asked for a better launch. This system is a hundred dollars cheaper and it's more powerful. You know, Xbox look like jokes. They look like like their first party games were not up to snub. And besides certain things, you know, Killer Instinct looked great and all that kind of stuff like that. It wasn't until way later that they started finally finally turning it around with better games, better looking games, the care really baked into the games. Where gears, you know, certain things like gears are still suffering from just staleness. Be to be able to just play certain games right off the rip with your subscription service, playing the games, you know, now with the Xbox One X being the more powerful system, games looking extra good. Uh, Fall in Order, I got to play, I got to see that on your base PS4, and I now saw it on my Xbox One X, and it's night and day. And not that we're really big graphics, you know snubs and frame rates and stuff i want my games to run good and look good and just distinctively they look better so it's weird to see a game a system go from being a joke being just terrible i would say i would say it was really terrible at launch to being one of the systems so powerful so well respected now and just having the features that we wish sony would bring over especially with backwards compatibility if for real now it is the all-in-one box because i can play my xbox game 360 games and my xbox one games on it it just makes sense that way you know first party and third party support all working really well together uh so what's your kind of look back and remembrance of the xbox one yeah i mean looking looking back on it i feel like xbox went through this gen what other people have gone through what i call the humble generation which is basically you come off a big 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 high and then sometimes people have to sit back and humble you a little bit and remind you like hey listen don't get too cocky on your high horse you can still fall and you best believe you did it happened to playstation during the uh, ps3 generation 
it happened to Nintendo during the Wii U generation, and I believe it just happened to Xbox of this generation, where they were coming off the 360, they were like the, the the industry leaders, and yes, they, they ultimately got outsold, but we all understand that generation, they, they dominated for a long time. And uh, they came into this generation, basically, instead of listening to gamers, telling the gamers what they want, which is like, hey, uh, we, we, you, we know what you see in over there with PlayStation and you want all these different things. But here, how about some Call of Duty Sports TV? Call of Duty Sports TV. Don Matrick, he's telling people, yeah, hey, listen, if you, you want um, and not always online, yeah, go to the, the 360. Like, they're just not listening to consumers. And consumers quickly let them know that that's unacceptable. And eventually they were able to course correct. And thank goodness for Phil Spencer. Like, I mean, he, he deserves infinite credit for kind of at the very least, changing the PR. I'm not. I know he's not sitting there on the, the the bottom level coding for the Xbox. I know that's not him doing it. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of just like PR spin and marketing and stuff like that, he course corrected to a point where yes, by the end of the generation, I think they have a really really good console now. Uh, to give people a little bit of background, I didn't jump into the Xbox One until last year, so I got to experience a console pretty much at its best. I, day one, I had an Xbox One S. I didn't have the One X. I had the One S. But it's a beautifully designed console. Uh, beautiful, nice white finish on it. It's slim. Its form factor is amazing. Ventilation's clean. Uh, I got Game Pass Ultimate, so I got the online thing and all of the Game Pass library day one. And since then, I've been playing it, and I've had nothing but positive things to say about it. I love the console now. But uh, yeah, man, they had a really rough start, and unfortunately, it was so rough that they could not recover, and, and not so much in a financial way, but just the numbers of units sold. They just are so far behind PlayStation this generation that in many ways, this generation's kind of lost. But despite that, they didn't really give up. They're like, oh, you know what? We're going to set up the framework for a good next gen, and then we're just going to just try our best to do right by our consumers. And I feel like in many ways they have. There is no better value proposition in terms of having a library of games available to you than Game Pass right now. And PlayStation now has its benefits in terms of its, you know, the fact that you don't have to download anything. You just, you can download things, but yeah, you can natively stream. But again, streaming games is a limited experience to some people. But I mean, hey, Xbox figured it out. They figured out backwards compatibility. And luckily they had the benefit of the fact that they didn't have to figure out backwards compatibility with cell processed, you know, developed games, which is its own problem that kind of Sony shot itself in the foot with. They had the benefit of not really having to deal with that. The infrastructure of the 360 and the original Xbox are not like fundamentally different than the Xbox One. So they were eventually able to figure out a way to emulate those games and use physical discs from last-gen games as kind of an unlock key. And it's a very clever, smart way they went about it. And since then, I mean, I've utilized it so much. I've been playing Mass Effect. I play um, Star Wars Force Unleashed. I play KOTOR. These just countless games that i've been able to go to a local game store check it real quick if it's backwards compatible oh yep it's backwards compatible cool buy the game for what five ten bucks fifteen at most go back home load it in and i'm playing the same game that i'm play- i played 10 years ago on a last gen console on a current gen console and then quickly switch to yakuza zero or halo uh four or whatever i wanted to play at the time so i mean it's a real incredible thing that they accomplished and going into next gen i'm i'm really i'm really optimistic for them and as long as they can figure out that first-party game release issue that I would say is the one issue that still, as of right now, still plagues them, 
because they haven't yet rectified it yet. A lot, everything is pretty much projections. Like, okay, they have all these new teams, Ninja Theory, the Initiative, all this, blah, blah, blah. They, they can really do some cool stuff now going forward. Yes, but we haven't yet seen it, so it's not proven. So as of right now, the main issue and the main indictment Xbox has against it and has had against it pretty much this entire generation is where are the games? And hopefully, I'm praying that they rectify that for this next gen because I would love to see a healthy Xbox and a healthy PlayStation go toe-to-toe with each other because I feel like we have yet to see that. Um, because in the when the, the original Xbox, the PS2 was dominating. They were brand new to the space. With the 360, they dominated, but the PS3 shot themselves in the foot. So Sony wasn't in the best place they could have been. This generation, not, Microsoft shot themselves in the foot. But this upcoming generation with the Series X, hopefully they can have a whole bunch of good first-party exclusives. Sony, you know they're going to come out with the heat. You know they're ready to go. And then Nintendo, and just having all three companies in a healthy spot, I think is gearing up to make what I believe this is the ninth generation of consoles to be one of the best ones yet. And I'm hoping for that. And uh, so I got a lot of love for Xbox this generation, the the fact that they were able to course correct. And unfortunately, the narrative hasn't 100% shifted for them, and they still kind of are like... Uh, a bit of a joke and a punching bag to some people where it's like what what the gears and halo machine that has nothing else to play yeah or he's really gonna mm-hmm. cut it like that, that they they still get joked on a lot because i feel like for many ways like this is kind of a shot generation for them but uh i i hope going down people will be able to kind of look back on it again like a dreamcast like a vita and be like you know what? They really course corrected, and they really were onto something there. And for different reasons than the Dreamcast and the Vita, where they have their cult followings, this one is uh, to write a ship that was so disastrously launched, and without having to pull a PS3 and completely tank the price of what you were able to do and cut a whole bunch of features so you can launch a console for super cheap. Uh, Xbox didn't actually do that. They dropped. They had cheaper offerings, sure, but for the most part, they were able to kind of course correct just by listening to the consumer and i think that's something to be commended and i think down maybe in a generation or two we can look back and be like hey man they really botched that that launch but they really course corrected and they they really listened to fans and that was a humbling moment for xbox and hopefully uh we can see a really really healthy xbox and this could be the start of something incredibly great and put them on a trajectory to possibly maybe win another generation so that, that's kind of my general thoughts on it. I think there's a lot of negatives about this generation, but you got to highlight the positives too because not many other developers and publishing partners could have pulled off what Microsoft pulled off here with that, that kind of fixing all the mistakes that fast. Because again, yes, it was a course correction years in the making, but it was within one gen. And... Not a lot of people can do that. Uh, again, like some Sega, for example, when they started screwing up, they screwed up multiple generations in a row. But mm-hmm. at least when Microsoft realized their mistake, they were able to fix it within the same generation. And so I think that's something to be commended. And it didn't spell disaster for Microsoft in the same way that like it did for Sega. Because for a lot of people, when they saw that Xbox One launch, it's like, oh, Xbox is done. The, the, there's no way they can recover from this. And Lo and behold, with a a lot of commitment, a lot of listening, and a lot of admitting that they messed up, which is not an easy thing for a corporation to do. When uh, corporations' kind of main instinct is to double down, double down, double down. Like 
it's super obvious that Sony did a stupid thing with that Gaikai acquisition with the streaming games thing. That's very obvious. But at this point, they put so much money onto it, and they would hate for the negative PR that, you know, no, we have to triple down on it. But Microsoft was willing to be like, you know what, uh, we we botched this. The Kinect wasn't it. This all-in-one console wasn't it. This massive brick-of-a-console VCR thing wasn't it. And let's take the steps to rectify that to maybe make up for some of the ground we lost. And I feel like they did. And ultimately, yeah, they didn't release the numbers, so... We know it's probably not the best looking optically in terms of what Sony's been selling versus what they're selling. But, uh, you know, I, I try to give them credit where credit is due. And I give Sony a lot of credit where credit is due. And uh, it makes me really excited for this next gen. So I would say, all in all, this generation was a success for Microsoft, despite the lack of sales, despite the real botched, you know, launch, because of the able to cor- course correct in a very unique Xbox X uh kind of manner so yeah that's kind of my thoughts on it yeah i mean you got to realize you know they were backed into a corner where it would have been easy for them to just fold up and just been like all right let's just start releasing halo on well at a time on pc and 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 playstation uh obviously we did see one of those things fruition uh this year but they decided to instead of just put throwing in the towel and making easy money on titles they they knew they they had to rectify themselves and they really did just in a sense just recover beyond something they couldn't recover nintendo could not recover the wii u so you know as we, we always talk about the redemption story that sony did with the playstation 3 and we would talk about the you know the redeeming that microsoft was able to use with the xbox one you know nintendo couldn't do it nintendo could not do it the wii u is now still a colossal failure i don't care what anyone says Xbox One is at such a high positive place now. Like, I would say they're evenly matched hardware-wise and feature-wise. They might even have... They they definitely do have a leg up on Sony. So that's why they only both have... Can just skyrocket now with the new generation with PlayStation 5 and Series X. Or they can nosedive. And looking at what we have right now, you know, Apple to Apple, Xbox is uh, looking really good and Sony is looking kind of bad with the PlayStation 5. So to see them to really just listen, like you said, to everyone what they wanted, and not just, you know, fixing their mistakes, but future-proofing their mistakes. You know, they they didn't just figure out backwards compatibility. They, you know, made it a solid option for not even that, even your Xbox One, I mean, well, original Xbox uh, titles. You can literally put an original Xbox game into your Xbox One, and it will play. Yep, they did it yesterday. Yeah, and it you know, works it, perfectly. And it works. And, and it that's looks thing. better. And they just future proofed it. And and that and that's another thing. They went in there and fixed these games. They could have just done some emulation. They could have just ignored it because they didn't have to go backwards compatibility because Sony didn't do it at all. You know, they figured these things out because consumers wanted that. Consumers want an easy place. They do want an all in one machine. And though you couldn't live up to it then you know you did at the end of the day go through it i mean i went through three i'm on my third xbox one you know i had the original one which was not cutting it super slow overheating all the time collected dust because how big it was and those weird slot vents that were on half the console uh were were disgusting you know and then i did have an xbox uh one x i was able to get a sweet deal on you know and then i did get rid of it to play on pc because of uh what they were talking about moving all their games on pc 
But when they started bringing up the backwards compatibility, the ease of the backwards compatibility, the be able to transfer between Xbox uh, Ultimate Game Pass on PC, the fact that I can play Gears 5 on my Xbox One, you know, my new Xbox One that uh, I have, and then go on my PC and continue my save on Gears and most of the Halos, well, not all the Halos, but most of these games that my save just transfers. I don't have to import my save. I don't have to do anything. I literally just sit down and hit play and it brings everything over to my PC. Like this the connectivity, the ease of it is what really they were able to just solidify. And it sucks because they're the only ones to be able to do that. You know, they're the only ones doing that right now. I can't you know, going on some of the stories, I can't play Mario 64, Sunshine, the Galaxies on my Switch. But on my Xbox, I can play all the Halos, all the Gears, you know, any, you know, most of my 360 games. I can be playing Duke Nukem, Lollipop Chainsaw, uh, Brutal, uh, Brutal Fables, Legends. Yeah. You can play all the Fables, all the Assassin's Creed games. Dragon Age. On one system. And these aren't, you know, I know some, you know, people who have their issues with the Halo and, and Gear series really just kind of driving the ship. But I can play all my Devil May Cry games on my Xbox One. And on PS4, you gotta go get the HD collection and workarounds, and you can't play any of the Mass. I think you can play Mass Effect Three through PlayStation Now. That's it. So if you wanna, you know, play those on Sony, you don't for some reason don't wanna get an Xbox. You gotta go buy a PS3 that's still working, which those are getting to a limited amount. I mean, our we both have the fat piano black PlayStation Three, and they sound like jet engines when we're trying to record like stuff from them. Yeah, you know, it's terrible. But on Xbox, it just works. You have all the Mass Effects on there. And that's what people need. And that's what Xbox... Xbox saw that that's what they wanted and needed. And they, you know, came in where they needed to be. Yeah, well, to cap this off and kind of, you know, end this subject and end the podcast, what I'll say is a healthy Sony, a healthy Microsoft, and a healthy Nintendo makes a good, healthy industry. And... I think, unfortunately for them, but fortunately for us, these generations have to happen. And sometimes they just need to get their butt kicked to remind them about what really matters in a game console. And luckily, you know, PlayStation and Nintendo, they got theirs. And now look at now we have the PS4 going into the PS5. We have the Nintendo Switch. Boy, did they fix a lot of the problems they had in previous generations. And Mm -hmm. now Xbox just went through theirs. And luckily, they were able to fix it during that generation. But that gives me a lot of confidence that the Series X is really going to be something quite wonderful if historical precedence has taught us anything. So, yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate for them that they had to get their butt kicked for so long and so many years. But these generations sometimes need to happen. And uh, I got a lot of love for this generation because, if anything, it's a teaching moment. It's an educating mm-hmm. moment for them. It's an educating moment for what really matters. Uh, a lot of the, and sometimes still to this day, a lot of po- powers that be like to minimize the importance of a service like backwards compatible compatibility. And Xbox learned this generation that not only is it important, but it's kind of vital to a healthy ecosystem, mm-hmm. not erasing your past. And uh, they learned that, and luckily, they, we kind of forced their hand, and now going forward, that's going to be something they incorporate in their consoles, because they remembered what happens when they didn't. And yep. I feel like Sony's going to learn that too, and Nintendo's going to learn that in their own way. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's a good look, and we'll take a look at the PS4 in its own subject when we get more PS5 information, and we kind of get a full look of the PS4 life cycle, because I feel mm-hmm. like, for the most part, all the Xbox One 
exclusives, whatever that means, because I know they're the series x will be playing kind of the same games that are available but for the most part all the games that are going to be considered this gen games for microsoft are out halo yeah it's going to be you know a next gen game um gears 5 just launched so gears 6 god knows how long that's going to be and uh forza's you know nothing announced yet so for the most part we have everything and uh we have this gen and then eventually we'll get the ps4 and see how that looks uh for a subject so i hope you guys enjoyed that all right so that was another episode in the talk of the neo vintage podcast i hope you guys enjoyed and we'll be back here uh next week hopefully with some camera setups we're going to try to work out something to have a visual component for you guys who watch on youtube yeah Uh, make the video a little interesting yeah because we weren't anticipating that this crisis was going to last so long so we thought we're going to do the remote thing audio only uh for a couple you know a couple weeks and no big deal but it looks like it's going to be months in the making so we're going to try to figure out a visual component for you guys to have something a little bit more engaging to watch while you guys are in quarantine during the apocalypse so uh (laughs) till next time this is jabril and i'm with steve and this is the neo vintage podcast bye